This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Otson Audible's podcast matt prem eric scopel jared mack on today's show it's recording of tuesday november 28th uh a little later than normal um the schedule's kind of off a little bit just because of the short week for football and we got two days of interviews smashed into one um for oregon football practice today we should note uh dan lanning has closed practice to the media this week so we were not able to go Inside practice today on Tuesday. We will not be at practice on Wednesday. No one will speak, actually, on Wednesday. Um, So today was the final day that we were able to speak with anybody associated with the program um, ahead of Friday night's game against Washington for the Pac-12 championship for probably a spot in the college football playoffs. A lot on the line. Um, Let's go right into injuries. And, again, this is one where – we have to go at face value of what was said to us, not what we've seen with our eyes, because we're not into practice. Uh, Eric, you've got the injury report, so just give us a quick update of what Dan has said at least Monday night. Yeah, it sounded like continual positive news on the Gary Bryant Jr. front. Um, Dan said after the game that he needed to converse with his medical staff, but based on what Gary had told him after the game, he thought Gary would be okay. Um, and Dan basically said something similar today about how he felt they were in a good place for Gary to be available on Friday. Um, as Matt said, we have no way of really, I don't know, of learning anything different. I mean, it, it's it, whatever Dan says kind of is the way it is at this point. So that's the reality we're in here. So that's probably going to be a Friday at kickoff-ish time um, kind of determination. We'll have better sense, which is always the case, but uh, we just don't have as much data this week, I guess I should say. Um, and then the other one is is corners, Julio Florence and Roderick Pleasant. Dan was far less kind of, I would say, forthcoming here. Just kind of offered a, 
we expect some of those guys to be back. And if you're reading between the lines there, I would imagine since it's two players or asked specifically about, I believe this time, Jaleel would probably be the one I wouldn't expect to be back. And I would imagine that may be as, as good news on the Roderick Pleasant front, but regardless, um, yeah, nothing kind of definitive there and obviously nothing we could take away from practice either. Um, I don't know if there's really anything else to talk about from an injury perspective. The team remains relatively healthy. We all know about Noah Whittington and a couple of other guys, but compared to some of the programs out there that are playing for conference championships this weekend, I think I'll knock on wood here. Oregon fans should feel, and I'm sure the program does feel really blessed with the few number of issues they've had on the injury front all season. I think the only other person I could think of would be Kamari Terrell, but we saw him play against Arizona State on the very first kickoff and then, you know, immediately go to the sideline with what seemed to be an injury and haven't seen him suit up since. So um, not a huge detrimental uh, player that if he doesn't play. Um, but I think that's like the only guy I could really think of other than Florence and Pleasant and then, and then Dalen Austin. But I think we all kind of have a sense on where Dalen Austin is. Yeah. And it's a time where I'm sure there's guys like Evan Williams – is one that's got a club on his hand. He was choking today at practice. Like, he could do everything he can to get that club shaved down a little bit because it he felt he, he felt attacked with uh, TV calling it a butterball. Is what he said. Um, you know, like there's there's guys that you know on both teams that, that are going to be dealing with stuff. Um, guys going to be playing through injuries at this point of the season, but there really isn't anything that we haven't t- discussed that's major left. And there's only two players right now, it feels like, that would have significant impacts on this team in this game that could be out in this game. I guess three if you count Gary Bryant. Um, but Dan seemed to be much more receptive of that one. We, I don't know. We, I, I, uh, I, I, I would imagine he's okay. But, I mean, who knows? We didn't get to watch practice. And, and right. Dan has not always – what he said on a Monday has not always been what we see on True. a Friday or a Saturday either. So. Uh. Shifting towards Friday night, um, Oregon is the team that has a full week of practice. Washington will not. Uh, I think Kellen DeBoer said that it is what it is. They've lost one day of prep. They can't really do anything about it. Dan Lanning, after the Oregon State game Friday night, kind of downplayed the importance of that, saying just, you know, it just more the, the bigger thing for them is it gets them back on schedule for having um, what a traditional week looks like. Uh, the days are different, but he didn't really buy into it being um, that big of a deal. Um, players today, I was kind of intrigued of just how many players and how frequently they they said that they watch film, they think about that Washington loss. Um, I mean, this team's like motivated by it, but Dorless coming out saying he watches it every day or, th- you know, kind of took me back a little bit. I, I think this is one in which they've had, as they should, circled for a really long time. And maybe first thing that I thought in my head was, I wonder what the emotions are going to be like that first quarter of this game because of how much this team talked up about they wanted this rematch, they watched it every day, they thought about this loss for so long. What, what are the emotions going to be like in this game? What are the emotions going to be like? Because it's a rivalry game too, again. Um, but – they know what you know. They talked about it, just they wanted it, and now they have it. I, I'm not surprised that they've really reviewed this one. I mean, it was a really tough loss, and it was. Well, I mean, that, yeah, I'm not I'm not trying to say that, but more so of just like Thorless coming out saying he watches it every day. Like, yeah, I wasn't thinking that. 
I mean, it's a it's a it's a big big one. So yeah, I mean, I I uh, I, I thought it was kind of endearing just to hear how much everybody cared about the loss. I mean, obviously this is a team of competitors, and uh, and and they really felt slighted by what happened in Seattle. And this is an opportunity to to get a different result. And certainly the way the two teams have played since, you know, we've and we've already talked about it a little bit on Monday's show, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more um, on our on our preview podcast. But like these are kind of been two ships going in different directions since, you know, Oregon has really taken control and, and it has, as a couple of players and Bo Nix and Jordan Birch. And um, I think Taki Taimani have kind of talked about like some of the, uh, you know, how much this has actually helped correct everything and make sure everybody's on the right page and focus moving forward and how they put together awesome practices at since. And obviously we don't cover Washington. I can't speak to the specifics, but whatever's happened in that operation up in Seattle has not been the same case. They've won every single game just like Oregon has. But um, I think the margin of victory comparison, like Oregon's won by against the at least common opponents. I think I heard somebody this week say by uh, 27 points compared to nine points or something like that for, for mm-hmm. Washington in terms of margin of victory against the same teams they've played. So, um, you know, I, I will be very curious to Matt's point just to see how this game shapes early just because I think this is such a – pivotal part of this particular team and, and, and kind of especially with Washington like playing with a lead against them is certainly different than playing from behind which um, you know Oregon was forced to do for parts of that game up in Seattle so no I, I think the, how this game comes out and, and what Dan has said about managing emotions and energy and, and not necessarily needing to ignite or hit any of the buttons this week because it's kind of built in and it's kind of a self-evident one all of that makes sense but I will be curious to see how this game opens and kind of where where the energy level and the emotion is because obviously this one means a ton and there is everything possible basically on the line. Yeah, I'm not I – don't, I don't know. This is just me, but I'm not worried at all about Oregon's emotion level for this game. Um, I think they're going to know exactly what they're there to do. It's a business trip, and I think Oregon has kind of laid that out every single time they've hit the road. You know, Basically every single time they played a game this year that it's a business trip. And – I don't think the emotions were were anything bad in Seattle. I don't think they've been overly emotional about any game this season, frankly. Um, you look at how emotional the team was or how like there were a lot of talks about emotions before the Utah game. They just went out there and handled business. Same thing with USC and the same thing with Oregon State this last week. I mean, Oregon State this last week was probably the most talked about emotionally game uh, from a year ago, and Oregon just went out and handled business and did their job. And I know that this one will obviously have more at stake with the trip to the potentially to the cultural playoff on the line. But I think Dan has done a very good job of keeping this team's demeanor at a neutral level, despite the fact that these games are highly emotional. These are emotional sports too. Um, there's a lot of passion and caring and love on each sideline for both teams. But they've been very good on the road. They've been cool-headed, level-headed. Uh, They've been very level-headed at home as well, despite playing really tough competition. And I expect exactly the same to come this weekend or on Friday in Las Vegas. Um, I think that this is an opportunity for Oregon just to, again, show how they're going to play every game um, with the same mindset that, you know, this is is our job. Our job is to win. We're going to go out there and give it our all to win. And I think that the emotions from the loss uh, certainly – gives them more motivation to go out there and to showcase their true talents and where they can be from a national perspective. But um, I think that they'll be level-headed. I've, I haven't seen anything this year to suggest otherwise. And 
the other part of it that keeps the emotions down, like um, I think it was Brandon who said it today, is it's a, or it was, I think it was Brandon, yeah. Uh, it's a neutral field. I, I don't know why I haven't kind of factored that into my thought process with this game, but uh, neutral field where, you know, maybe it's 50-50 Oregon-Washington fans on a good day. Um, it's a lot better than 75,000 Washington fans screaming at your neck. So uh, I think that'll even help more with the emotional aspect because it's just not going to be um, as hostile as a crowd because there will be supporters there. Unlike, I know there were supporters of Washington, don't get me wrong, but you know, when it's 90 to 10, it's different than 50 50. Um, Oregon's defensive line talked pretty much, um, pretty bluntly, saying, like, you know, as they should, but they're they feel like they need to get after Penix, and then that's that's not a surprise, but the way that they were, you know, Doralis was like, I watch that film and it tells me I need to hit Penix every time I need to get to Penix. And I think they're well aware that um, he is not playing his best football the last four or five weeks compared to how he was playing earlier in the, in the season. But Dorless also said like, it's, it's our responsibility, which they didn't do. He said well enough the first time around to pressure him and to get him to move while he's throwing the football because when he sets his feet there's it's hard to find a quarterback better than him and Evan Williams talked about you know the the fact that Rome Adunze is just you basically have to double cover him now and if you don't the one-on-one back shoulder throws you know lean more towards being a success than not which plays into the you know the the factor uh, of pressuring Penix more and I, I think it's, this is one of those games, I think, where I think Bo even said it. Like, we know what we have to do. They know what they need to do. And it's going to basically come down to execution. That's what both what Dorless and Bo said today was just, like, they made it very clear. Like, the game plan is clear. They know what our game plan is going to be. We know what their game plan is going to be. It's just who can execute at a higher level. Yeah, and we've talked about all these matchups once before. And some of them are slightly different because there have been some minor personnel changes. There have been players who've been knocked out. There have been players who've stepped up. There have been players who've maybe elevated their games who weren't parts of the, you know, big parts of game plans before. But for the most part, like, we know what this matchup is. That's why I don't know if we need to sit here and talk through too much. I mean, I think one of the things that was interesting to me was that the kind of a talking point that I think Brandon and Taki brought up, which was that um, Washington has run the ball more effectively since the first time. And I, 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 when look through the game logs and like it's kind of not that much of a difference. I literally just went through it. Here's the average in six games, and this includes the, the first game with Oregon. Um, Washington was running the ball 26 times per game for an average of 119 yards. It's 4.67 yards per carry. In the six since, they've ran it 28 times per game with an average of 126 yards per carry. It's an average of 4.45. So they've they've run it like three more times per game and averaged like seven more yards per game. Now, the big component of this is they had this massive day against USC, and then they had this weird game with Arizona State where they couldn't run the ball at all. So the numbers following Oregon are kind of weird because these two huge outlier games. There's a game where they ran for 13 yards and a game where they ran for, let me get the exact number here, I think it was 325, 316. So like these are these two huge outliers that kind of throw the whole thing off here. But just in general, like, uh, you know, and, and – like there's not huge changes here in terms of even the number of rushes and um but 
you know, and I, I think one thing that that was kind of that needs to be talked about too is I forget if we brought this up on the pod on Monday is like how healthy is Dylan Johnson because he seems to be kind of running on a bad wheel himself there, and um, this last weekend certainly wasn't his or the Washington run attacks best game. It was actually their their second worst yards per carry uh, rush average here. So um, the leaf blower guy has arrived over here. Um, so I'm going to mute myself and let you guys talk. But I just was kind of shooting. I was looking through the stats and felt like the run success that Washington, this emergence of the run game that they supposedly have was statistically at least a little blown out of proportion. Yeah, statistically for sure. Um, I think they – I don't know, in the, in the games that I have watched, I think they have been running the ball better. I thought they ran the ball pretty well against Oregon. Um, I think they finished with 99 yards on 23 carries, so 4.3 yards a carry. I thought they got to the outer edges really good. I thought they attacked Oregon's outside linebackers really strong um, and forced the secondary to make tackles, which they did and they didn't. Um, I think Dylan Johnson's a great running back, too. He's one of the better ones in the conference, but it's important to – to note that, like, yeah, you know, he was banged up against Washington State. He entered that game banged up and then got banged up against Washington State. And that's a very vital, you know, uh, a piece for their offense because as good as Michael Penix is and he has been and was against Oregon, like, you do need to establish some semblance of a run game. And if there's nothing there, then Oregon doesn't need to stack the box. They could double Roma Dunze because they're not worried about what the running game can do. Um, Dan talked about it on Monday. It's like the problem with Roma Dunze is you cannot, you you really would like to double him, but you can't because then you're you're weak in the box and you and they're going to run down your throats at that point. But you know if if Dylan Johnson is in, it makes it way different. But if he's out, then there's a chance that we see Oregon maybe try to double Roma Dunze, try to give more help to probably Kyrie Jackson who's going to be shadowing him all game. But um, I think Washington's running attack is a little underrated um, just because Michael Penix gets so much of the credit, which he absolutely deserves. But uh, it'll be really interesting to see if Dylan Johnson plays because that, I don't know, that's just going to be a, a big momentum shifter if he can. And if he can't, then you have to like Oregon even a little bit more because, you know, I, I think Washington's backup running backs are fine, but, Dylan Johnson is so much better than they are. McMillan should play in this game, but he's been playing with injuries all years, missed multiple games because of it. Um, didn't Jalen Polk also come up with he's something? Dinged up too, yeah. Yeah. He he played and finished the game against Washington State, but he's dinged up too. Um, but like Oregon didn't have Kyrie Jackson or Julio Florence in that second half for much of that second half. The first time around, Jackson should play. Um, obviously, we don't know about Florence's status, probably not playing. Um, but this, this, you know, we talk about getting after Penix and, and whatnot, but, like, this could be also another key area that decides this game is how effective, how healthy are Washington's receivers and how healthy is Oregon's secondary and can they hold up, uh, you know, from a, from a depth or injury perspective, like, Kyrie's been dealing with stuff too. Like he, he didn't finish the ASU game. Um, he came back and played against Oregon state, but like, well, he didn't have He didn't finish the ASU game cause they didn't need him. Yeah. But okay. Yeah. Like I mean, he, he didn't, he didn't play at all in the second half. Florence actually played and got hurt, which, I, which is why we think he's 
uh, not going to be playing against Washington in this championship game and why he didn't play against Oregon State. But Kyrie just – I mean, he was, he was also dealing, though, with the week before that. He also had a – Correct, yeah. Like, 100%. Like, he's, been, he's been banged up every once in a while. Yeah. Um, but this is just – I mean, I, I, I think this could be a case of just attrition. Who has the healthier group uh, going into this one? Yeah, I don't know how much. I don't know if we've talked. We've only this is our second podcast of the week, so we haven't talked enough in general on this matchup. I don't think we've talked enough about just how impactful Washington's skill position injuries could be in this game. Um, and we talked quite a bit about Penix, but you run through it. It's like outside of a Dunze and is it Jake Westover? Is that their tight end? Like those those guys are two mm-hmm. of their top guys. Like and they're both really good players. Those are like the two only the two guys that I you know when you look at the just the guys who are going to have the ball the most that seem like they have fully clean bills of of health and now Oregon's only real injury or area where they have a glut happens to be the area that also overlaps with a lot of these guys in that Oregon secondary is pretty dinged up but collectively Oregon has the healthier team yeah especially on the offensive sides respectively of the ball um, and you look at what Washington has and hasn't been able to do over the course of the last six games since the Oregon game, it, it just seems like you're kind of wondering what exactly is Washington going to be able to put out there. And I don't think anyone should overlook them, but if they're as dinged up as it sounds like they could be and the inability to score more than 25 points for a couple games in a row here against an Oregon offense that hasn't been held below 30 once this season like these are all kind of things you were talking it out of like how does washington beat oregon well they probably need to score 37 again or 41 again or something in that range to win if they're as beat up as it sounds like they are and oregon plays a remotely clean football game where they don't just gift a bunch of points or great field position to washington and oregon's offense continues to do what it's done all season these are the kind of elements that you can talk yourself into like that's why some of this vegas you know, the line right, is what it is right now, where Oregon is, is nearly a 10-point favorite. So um, that's going to be one of the big parts coming into this for me is, like, for Washington to beat Oregon, I think they're going to have to outscore Oregon. I don't expect that Washington's defense isn't better than a couple of the defenses Oregon has already had a bunch of success against. I don't expect Washington to hold Oregon to, like, 24 points. And that feels like the range that they're more likely to get to offensively based upon recent production. So... Mm-hmm. Um, these are the kind of things that you can talk yourself into of feeling really confident about Oregon going into this week is is Washington's probably going to have to have, win in a shootout here. and Do they have the dogs to do it just based on health? I, I, of course, expect Oregon to win this game, but a, a game that is somewhat lopsided would be one in a scenario like we're talking about here where Washington just, just can't keep up offensively because they're physically not quite there yet. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I was going to say, I think the only fear I have is not fear, but they still have Roman Dunze. Like he makes, he makes life really, really good uh, for whatever team he plays for. Uh, in the NFL and currently for for Washington. Um, so even if Polk and even if McMillan are limited, um, they still have Roma Dunze. And maybe it becomes easier for Oregon to, to cover him. But I don't think even if double coverage, I don't think they're going to be able to drastically lock him down unless – the way to lock him down is just to not let Penix throw accurate footballs like that. I just don't think right. if, like if, if, if Penix is able to get the ball off to Roman Dunze, more often than not, Rome's going to catch the ball. Yeah. And Washington still has other weapons, Jeremy Bernard and Giles Jackson, who will likely play in this game because it's a postseason and won't have to worry about his red shirt. Um, those guys are going to have to step up. Certainly if, if Polk and McMillan are having a, a, a tough day or, or aren't as healthy as uh, they anticipate, like, and those guys are good. You know, Bernard, I'm looking at it right now, has you know, almost 400 yards in the season with a touchdown. Like, that's <laughs> that's Chris Hudson production. Like, a lot of people thought that Chris Hudson was good, and, and that's what Jeremy Bernard's doing as, like, the fourth wide receiver on that team. Like, these are quality caliber players that Washington can go to. And then at the same time, like, it's Michael Penix throwing the football. And he's going to find the open guys. He's going to make the right throws. He's going to uh, make throws that only his guys know where they're going and know how to catch it. And that's why his connection with Roma Dunze is so good, is that uh, he throws the ball to guys to get open. And I know Dan talked a lot about that on the first time that Oregon and Washington played each other, that he throws throws to guys to get open. And that's the difficulty in covering all of these receivers, is it's not just oh, it's going to be an obvious jump ball where we're both going to leap and try to get it. It's the jump ball that the defender doesn't see because it's not where it should be. It's where the wide receiver needs it to be. And that's that's going to be the biggest problem. But to Matt's point at the end there, this doesn't become a problem if Oregon gets to the quarterback. And they showed it at points against Washington in the first game. They just have to do it more often. And they've been doing better and better in recent weeks at, at a pass rush. And Jordan Birch has really come alive, and so has Brandon Dorless. But Penix, like uh, probably more like DJ Uyungle, is a hard guy to bring down. You know, he's he's not the best athlete in the world, but he's certainly no slouch in moving around the pocket and getting out, out wide and um, just being difficult to bring down. Plus, he has an unbelievable arm. So even if he is falling down to the ground, he can get it out. 
he can go from a sack of six six yard loss to just an incomplete pass and hopefully you know not a uh, intentional grounding but it's it's going to be difficult they need their defensive line to step up like they have all season long and uh I mean, talk, hearing Doralis talk about it today, um, feels like they're the defensive line as a whole takes it pretty personal to really find out if Michael Penix Jr. is injured or not. Do we think he is? Yes. Yeah. No, I, I 100% think he is. I mean, didn't didn't they say in the broadcast in the original game that he had a cracked rib he was playing through? Yeah, I, I, it, it's leaked out. I, they, they, like, they've been really careful and – I think it wasn't Ryan Grubb, their offensive coordinator yesterday, said he was under the weather at the end of that game. Like they're doing everything they can to kind of cloud the picture, but anybody who's watching and paying attention relatively closely can kind of put two and two together. That it's a it's a not, sharp not, contrast, not, yeah, between the first five games and the final seven. I mean, yeah. against Washington State, he was just missing guys, mm-hmm. and he's an unbelievable talent at quarterback. He just doesn't miss dudes. It's like if Bo Nix just started missing like wide open guys and overthrowing on a lot of these throws, it's like, what, what, what's going on? Like, it's not just, he's not good. It's probably something to do with throwing with a cracked rib or something like that, or a a midsection injury. Like he's a damn good quarterback. Like those numbers are, you know, still above average. Don't get me wrong, but um, he should be producing the numbers Bo Nix produces. So there's clearly something probably not great with a body part of his. And I think it's from the Oregon game. I think it's probably his midsection. And, and I guess I guess the second question is for me is how big of a storyline does this become? Um can can it can it become a storyline of of hey Oregon's just getting after Penix and you know between the injury and between what Oregon's doing on, on the field, Washington is just significantly limited. Or can can Washington's offensive line, which I don't think it's enough credit for how good they are, mm-hmm. even you know of, of protecting him. Can they can they hold back? Can they build up the wall and protect him long enough? Um, I just that that's if if Washington wins this game, it's because of the offensive line. I don't think it's because of Penix. I don't think it's because of Roman Dunze. I mean, those guys are going to be the byproduct of the offensive line protecting well enough to give Penix the opportunity to set his feet and to, and to really run through his progressions and make throws. Um, and uh, Dunze and whoever plays that receiver for them to make the catches. Um, and, you know, I think it goes back to what we said at the very beginning, like Dorless, um, he talked about it like this group talk. He talked about it as well. Like the, the front seven knows a big chunk of this game is, is on their shoulders. Yeah, no, I think that's a good way to wrap today. It's just like that to me is you mentioned it for Washington. The key is protecting the quarterback. The key for Oregon to win is obviously to do the same on offense, but defensively is to, to do what Dorla said, to take out Michael Penix. And he said that, and you can read that as to eliminate his productivity, or you can look at that a little more darkly and say he means to physically take him out of the game. And, you know, when you're a player out there and you smell blood in the water, you know, and Michael Penix knows that, like, people are aware he's been dealing with some stuff. And not that defensive player needs any extra motivation to hit him, but if you know if you hit him a couple of times, that could either physically remove him from the game altogether or make it so that he's not able to play as productively. That's going to be a goal. Football's a physical sport. I know it hates it's, – it's, that sounds gross to say that a player is talking about wanting to go out there and injure another player, but 
it's a physical game and and Brandon Dorless and defensive yeah. linemen, whether they get paid to do when they get to the next level, it's it's to go out there and inflict as much pain on opposing quarterbacks, and that's clearly a part of this. Yeah, Oregon. I just looked it up on Pro Football Focus. They generated 19 pressures against Washington the first time around. Um, only had four quarterback hits and just one sack, according to PFF. But that's a lot. Um, that's a lot of pressures that they can seven. generate. Dorless had seven. Uh, and this past week against Oregon State, another well-respected offensive line in the Pac-12 with you know probably a first-round pick and Fuaga at right tackle, um, 21 pressures. Like Oregon will dial up pressures. We've talked. I've talked about it specifically on this podcast many a times, but from wherever they want to on the field, and that's the luxury of having a defense that fits into Tosh Supoy's system is you can dial them up. Uh, I would expect there to be. Plenty of pressures, just like there was last time. And, you know, again, like uh, that first game comes a lot down to the, the decision makings and just the inability to convert on fourth down. Um, it may look a lot different if they got one or two of those fourth down conversions, but I think the neutral field will help a lot. Uh, I think the, uh, the, the way Oregon's offense is operating right now, like Eric was pointing out earlier, like Washington needs to score 31 to 35 points to be in contention to win. Because um, I don't think, as like as much as I think Washington's defense has improved from last year, it's going to be tough to stop Oregon at that thirty. Uh, what they score 30, 33 mark again? I think it's going to be tough to stop them there. Oregon's only allowed thirty or more points twice this season. Uh, Washington was one of them, and then they also allowed thirty Tech. to Texas to Texas Tech. Um, that's a good number to, to maybe prop bet uh, on Wednesday when we do our – or Thursday, I should say, when we do our, our, our podcast of 30 – 29 and a half over or under points. Um, it's only happened twice against this Oregon defense. All right. Uh, like I said, um, we'll be back on Thursday. We're not going to have uh, a guest on this week to preview this one. Um, but we'll back, be back on Thursday – during the day for a preview and prediction show. And then we'll be back Friday night, Saturday morning, depending upon when the game is over with a recap from Allegiant stadium in Las Vegas of the ducks and the Huskies here on the odds and Audibles podcast. Until then you've been listening to the odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later folks. Peace.